live creatively, friends. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given, and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. Welcome to the first bonus episode of the Live Creatively Friends podcast. In this bonus interview episode, I speak with the Reverend Lorenzo Labrija, head of the Tri-Tank. He's an Episcopal priest who spends his days running experiments, putting creativity and faith together in practical, useful ways. We talk about what he's been up to, about success and failure, and about the questions that inspire his experiments. He's a passionate, joyful, funny person. I hope you enjoy our conversation. So I guess I should start by introducing you, uh, because although I know who you are, the listeners and, <laughs> and future YouTube uh, viewers don't know. Uh, so you are Lorenzo Labrija. Is, am that I saying is that correct. correctly? <laughs> Head director of TriTank. Uh, a lab for church growth and innovation from is what your website says. So, yeah, but, but also on which is which, of, which I get that some people will hear that and be like, huh, I hear you say church and growth and innovation. Those those are all good words, but they generally don't go together. So yes. I always get a look from people's like, huh, say more about this thing you're talking about. Well, that you you <laughs> jump my question. I hope you, because church and innovation hardly ever go together. So well, I'm wondering you know, if you'll talk about that a little bit and tell us a little bit about TriTank. Absolutely, I'd, I'd love to. Hey, now you're talking my language. No, it, <laughs> you know what's interesting is we oftentimes think that church and innovation don't go together, but the church has been innovating for for a long, long time. I mean, I remember, and, and, and I swear to you, I am not name dropping, so I won't even say the name, but I was talking to, to a, a high-ranking cleric and who, who reminded me that once upon a time, the Nicene Creed was seen as innovation. That was an innovative move. So we can go back to 325 to the Nicene uh, co uh, Council, which is when we came up with the creed where it was like, look, we have all these books and we have all these people that are, we need to like, and so even then I'm sure that there was change like, but we like reading this other book. Why do we have to read now these other books? And so even then I'm sure that people fought back against uh, sort of innovation. But, and, and, or when Martin Luther came up with songs that could be in our, in our language that were actually able to be sung by a congregation, not just a choir of paid professionals, that also was an innovation. So, but you're right. We, we generally are not seen as the most innovative people in the world. And there's a lot of value in that because unlike, for example, the things that we can say of well, when we see Silicon Valley and in Silicon Valley, people are like, oh, so you're like Silicon Valley. You're out there trying. It's like, eh, yes and no. Silicon Valley's main sort of beginning of any project is break the past, break what you have, and then start again. So that's how you sort of move forward is by breaking it. That's the easiest way. We, on the other hand, what we have is a the opportunity to keep with us this beautiful tradition. We can't just throw out the tradition that we have with us. So it, it's really, 
it's an interesting way of innovating. It's like, yes, we want to move forward. We, we need to innovate. We see that the spirit is calling us for something new. God, our God is a God of always creating something new. Yet at the same time, we know that we can't just break the past and let it be. We have to bring it with us. So it's, a, it's an interesting sort of place to be. It's an interesting sort of yes and sort of place to be where it's like, yes, we can still find innovation, but we can't forget where we're coming from. So that's sort of what we... We are an action research laboratory. Now, when we were creating TriTank, uh, it was like, so what would this be like, Lorenzo? Uh, the deans of Virginia Seminary and General Seminary were, we were having a conversation. I said, well, it kind of would be like a think tank, except we wouldn't just think about things. We would actually just go out and try them because as our church moves along, we know that we are a church of primarily smaller congregations. And we can put out the world's best papers with the greatest ideas, but few people, when you have single, if it, that's if you have a, at least one full-time priest in your congregation, will have the opportunity and the time to go out and actually do anything with that. So we had to figure out like, all right, what we need to do is we actually need to go and show that it works, that it can work in multiple settings. That's the action research part. And mm -hmm. then we can disseminate the information that we have. It's like, look, we have this idea and we think it's worked well. Can you do something with it? And that's what we've discovered. We have as of today, and, and we're recording this, um, I just realized it is December 1st at 1 all these ones on my, on my mm. time. Yeah, so it's what, what we realized is that we have birthed two ministry, two, two new ministries, probably now coming up on four that we're about to announce that we, two more new ministries have birthed because of the work we've done. We have failed all over the place trying to do this, mm -hmm. but we have done 58, 59 experiments to date that uh, we have either finished or, and like I said, probably we fail right now in a ratio of about two to one, meaning we go out, we try something and it's either too expensive. It will, it's not feasible that, yes, we could get it done, but there's no way that a congregation could actually do this on a regular basis or it would work. Uh, but we've also had successes of places that we think we're like, oh, this is actually kind of cool and we've, we've done it. I'll give you some examples of that because I think that that's what mostly tells people what TriTank is. You, they're like, okay, innovation in the church. What does that look like? What does that feel like? So we created uh, an Alexa prayer app, uh, but it's actually called a skill. So an app, what would be an app on your phone is called a skill on a smart speaker. And we, and the reason why we did it, we created a, a, this prayer app where you can pray with Alexa. You can say, Alexa, open Episcopal prayer, and she will open up and say, the Lord be with you. And like a good Episcopalian, you will respond and also with you. And mm -hmm. then she'll lead you through morning prayer. She'll play for you the, the recording of morning prayer from forward movement. And the reason why we do it is not just because, oh, how cool is that? The reason why we do that is because we know that people who engage with scripture four times, at least four times a week, are more likely to go to church on Sunday. We also know that they're they seemingly are happier in their lives. They're less likely to be depressed. They are more generous with their time, talent, and treasure. And they're even better citizens. They vote more often. These are just what the research shows. So what we tried to do is like, is there a way that we can lower some of the barriers so that people can pray more often so that they can, can engage with scripture? So right now, about 500 people on an ongoing basis are praying the daily office with a smart speaker. 
And who would have thought about that when the smart speaker was being created or when it was first released as like, yes, I'm creating this technology and it will be used for people to praise. Like, no, nah, they probably are like, people will buy stuff from this, right? Yeah. Uh, so that's one thing we're working towards. We haven't yet released it, but we're working towards a small little digital sort of plate where it's, we call it a digital collection plate. Uh, as we go to more and more becoming a cashless society, people will just be able to tap their credit card and choose an amount real quick. And in three seconds, they could make a gift to the church. So as the plate goes around and if they're going to give you cash and they only have a $20 bill and a $1 bill, <laughs> you are not getting the $20 bill. So this allows people to still be generous to the church and using that. So it's things like those where things that we've done for a long time, but are there newer ways of doing those things? Are these the four ministries that you said have been successful? The Alexa? No, uh, the, so no. We, that we have actually launched has been the Alexa, which is now owned by Forward Movement. We did this thing called uh, Latino Ministry in a Box. So mm -hmm. imagine yourself as a rector or a member of a congregation that you realize your neighborhood is changing and there's a lot more Latinos, but you don't speak Spanish. You're like, how am I going to reach my, my neighborhood? I need to be able to reach out to them with the good news of Jesus Christ. How do I do that when I don't speak the language? So we created a systematic approach step by step no different than when like a new church is being planted that begins with relationships. And then it builds from that onto a little Bible study. And then it goes from a Bible study. And by providing some very simple tools, uh, it actually, we, we were like, will it create community? We tried it in eight different congregations around the country. And we were able to create community. We were giving them a, an agenda for like an hour meeting and it ended up being like two hours. And Mrs. Gonzalez was bringing food. We're like, okay, this is working really, really well. This is beyond what we thought. Food is a good sign, yeah. I, right, it's like, that's going well. That means people are breaking bread together, literally. So what that, what that did is three dioceses, the dioceses of Delaware, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey have decided to come together, take over that ministry, and they're gonna give it as a gift to the, to the wider church. So those are two that we have launched already. And there are two that are coming. One is um, we are gonna be, uh, okay, some news. I'm gonna break some news with you here today. Uh, All right, you heard it here first, everyone. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't officially said it to anyone, but we're actually gonna be, uh, we were creating an experiment to figure out if we could plant communities using radio particularly Spanish language communities because Latinos still listen a lot to the radio and give a lot of trust to the radio. So rather than the old fashioned way, which is you put a missioner in a community and mm -hmm. one by one people reach out and you make connections and then you build a little core team. We're like, could we do that via the radio and, and reach a wider group of people and do it in, in sort of, so can we buy half an hour of time? And then as we were doing that, uh, we realized like, you know, th there might be an opportunity to spread the word about the Episcopal Church to the Latino community by offering us a syndicated program. Mm. And so we'll be launching in January a, with at least 10 stations, because we're still getting more, a radio program, a weekly radio program. Kind of like, it sounds a lot like Car Talk, if you ever listen to Car Talk on NPR. So of it's very course, funny. yeah. Mm -hmm. It's very funny and, and casual, but it's talking about theology and it's got music and at the same time, but it, so it's, it is evangelism, but it doesn't hit anyone over the head saying, come join our church. It's just like, we're just talking theology. And the thinking is, well, people will listen to that and the spirit will do the work. We don't have to do that work. The spirit will move hearts and we're hoping. And so we're going to try for a year, uh, but that's a new ministry that was launched from another experiment. 
where we're like, this is working really well. The show is sounding really, really good and people are really liking it. So why don't we offer it for free to stations from around the country and syndicate it? So that's another one that, that's, that's launching. And the fourth one is a thing we call home videos. So what we do is we have a, a, a she's a missioner in Indiana and she does a weekly three minute video of the of these of her sermon that she gives at her church she does a three minute version that she's posting on youtube and she her community has grown from like three people online to 1700 people but what this is now meant to be and the reason why we call them it's called good news on the go is because it allows people uh, when we are done with covid and people are able to take communion to other members of the congregation who are homebound it allows you to have a tool of a sermon that's a three minute sermon so that you can take it with you, you can play that and then discuss it with the person that you're bringing it to. So the person doesn't have to think about, do I need to come up with a sermon for this person? It makes that encounter with the homebound person a more meaningful encounter because it's around the gospel. It's around a sermon and the explanation. It's opening our hearts and our minds to that. And that has worked well. And people are responding to it online. So that's also going to keep going. So those are the four sort of successful ones that have become like now ongoing ministries. But so we have a whole bunch always moving forward because as you know, with any project that, that anyone ever does, there's always the inevitable slowdowns. You have to wait for your other person to do something. And we try to always do it with partners so that it's not always just us. And so by having multiple of these going on at the same time, even if one slows down, we can speed up on another one mm -hmm. and, and get it going. So we have always good ideas and we're always looking for good and new ideas. So we ask people to always reach out. I am, anyone can reach out to me, Lorenzo at tritank.org. I'm the only staff person. So I, you will hear directly back from me. And I just love talking to people about ideas. And sometimes, sometimes, and I also do this, is people just need a conversation partner, someone to talk about, and say, uh, hey, would you help me out? I'm trying to think this idea of something, doing something new, would you help out? And I say, yeah, of course. <laughs> and, and I help them out with just thinking through uh, ideas and how we can implement them. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm curious, you, uh, you did a audio meditation for Riverside Church in New York City. It's on their oh, yeah. website. It was a, yeah. I think it was a Lenten audio thing. Yeah, I've done a couple and in, of yeah, and in, in the one that I listened to, you talked about uh, spiritual origin stories. Oh, yeah. No. I think I, I tied it in together to like comic books, didn't I? Or you did. You talked about comic yeah. books and you talked about the reading from scripture, uh, yeah. you know, it Samuel was anointing David. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just wondering, I mean, you know, to be honest, I, I don't meet that many priests that have your spirit of boldness and, and creativity, and it's so much needed in the church. And I think people are really hungry for a church that is willing to risk and listen and go out and be with people in the ways that you're coming up with. Um, and I'm just curious, do you have one of those spiritual origin stories? I'm wondering if you've ever reflected on what, what makes you so creative and then how that that creativity maybe ended up in a church context in you it's sort of an odd combination yeah well, well thank you for that you know it's, it's interesting when when you go through the process of becoming a priest you have to do all these psychologicals as you know and uh mine i happened to ended up looking at my psychological profile and i'm like i can't make sense of this so i shared it shared it with my <laughs> with my therapist, I said, does this say anything I should be aware of? Am I crazy at some point gonna go like crazy and just 
start talking to myself or to trees or something. Um, and he looked through it and he's like, oh, you have divergent thinking. I'm like, huh, is that something I'm going to die from? Should I be calling my mother and putting my affairs in order? He's like, no, no, no. What that means is that if I were on a boat that's sinking, I would not lose sight of you. I'm like, what does that mean? It's like, whereas most people have convergent thinking, which is they, they reach a decision and then they stop looking at other options and possibilities, which is why sometimes if, if the decision between when you make it and when you're carrying out is a long time, you could miss a whole bunch of red flags along the way and people still carry out a thing that you're like, why did they end up doing that? Didn't they see the, that you sort of become sort of siloed onto one decision? Uh, divergent thinkers can continue to offer, which makes me not the best companion at a restaurant. I will grant you that because I'm like, well, I could get this or I totally could get this. I could mix these two and be, so I come up. So he's like, you would come up with 22 ways of getting off a sinking ship rather than just focusing on the one that someone might be like, I need to get on that boat to get off the ship. I'd be like, well, you know, that door would certainly float or we could certainly do that and this. And that's just the way my mind works, but that's not, I think what, that's just the way of working. I think anyone can be creative. All of us have that the creative spark within us that God has given us. Where, where the boldness I think comes from me is, you know, I just, I really, really love God. I really, really love Jesus. And I think that not enough people know God and Jesus. And so we are called to, to share that good news. And so I'm not afraid of failing, quote unquote, as such, because this is our, this is what I want. It's like if I had a really good chocolate cake recipe, I'd want to share it with everyone. And I'd want to go out there and just share. This is, now imagine that chocolate recipe, like times 10 million. And that's what I think of God. And so I just want to share that with everyone. So it's that I think emboldens me. You have to, I was 39 when I went to seminary. I had a career. I was in arts management. My career kept sort of going. It was in an upward trajectory. I was running an organization. I had done really, really well, but still I felt this calling to the priesthood to, to be an ordained life. I think that's what the combination of the two, which is the wanting to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the world that so desperately wants to hear it and a God that I really do think knows how many, especially how many gray hairs I have, you know, that, that just leads me to believe, I don't know, I don't know that I could do that much damage if I'm trying to do good, right? So even if we fail along the way, that's okay because God is with us in this. So we just keep going. I mean, look at the stories in scripture. The, the biblical witness is that God's chosen people are really like the ones that have the worst seeming luck. It's like, oh, I'd rather not be one of your chosen people if I have to spend 40 years in the desert. And stuff like that. Could, I do, could I just be like one of your acquaintances rather than one of your chosen people? And I think that that is for me. I just, it's not going to be easy because God never promised us easy. God promised us we wouldn't be alone. So we go out and we try. So I think those two, the combination of those two, which is a God that's always going to have our back and a belief that this is really, really, really good news. I really believe that religion and God and Jesus can transform our lives. And I think that makes a difference because I really, really believe it. It has transformed my life. My life is a gazillion times better because Jesus is in it. And so I think just the mixture of those two, I really believe it. And then it's like, well, God's got my back. So what do, what do I have to lose type thing?
if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But I don't want to make it sound like, I don't want anyone listening to be like, well, I'm not holy enough or I don't have, no, 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 because it is not about that. There are moments when I'm like, God, are you listening? Because I don't think you're hearing me. I, I don't think, I feel like I'm out in the desert. And there are moments when I show up to my daily office prayers and I'm like, mm, I'm just going to do it because it's a habit at this point, not because I want to be here today, but there I am and I'm doing it. Is, is you show up in a relationship because that's what you do. It, but it's not because I'm in any way holier or in any way smarter. There are, my God, there are smarter people, gazillions of smarter people than I am. I just happen, maybe it's the other way. I'm like a dog. I'm just like, oh, I'm just happy go lucky. And, and I just keep going. <laughs> I, I think there's something holy in that to, to not know when to back <laughs> down. Yeah, I think that's a lot of what faithfulness is about. But that's just that's just my interpretation but i do wonder so i think if people are interested in uh hearing more about tritank and the specifics of it you have a lovely interview with scott gunn on the forward movement uh youtube channel and i'd commend that to people um if they wanted to learn more of course your your tritank.org newsletter and and website um one of the things that you talk about in that interview with scott is you use the phrase holy failure and I wonder if you'd just take a minute. Again, you've put together two words that typically don't go together. Um, you know, holy correctness or something, or holy rightness. That would be better, right? That, holy... that would sound more churchy for sure. So can you tell me a little bit about what you mean by holy failure? Absolutely. I think that uh, I think that for so I'll I'll tell it in a story. When when I was in seminary, I had the opportunity to to go see a friend of mine be ordained. And at that beautiful ceremony it was at St. Mary's uh, in Times Square in New York City, uh, Smoky Mary's as it's called, because it's big and they do a lot of incense and it's just this beautiful place. And she had as the as the the homilist for that evening was a priest from England who was visiting or she knew or and he at one point just turned to her and said, go out and do good because you will never hurt the church doing it many people much smarter than you have tried to kill the church and have been unable to. You in doing good will never hurt the church of God. And I know we sometimes say that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Or, uh, I don't believe that. Mm -hmm. I believe uh, that good intentions really do carry us far. And if we are trying to do good in the church, even as we fail, we will always learn and God will see our faithfulness in that. And that is what makes it holy is the fact that I am being faithful to my calling and I am being faithful to what I feel God is calling me to do. Now, now this is why we have the, the three-legged stool, right, in, in Anglicanism is we have to make sure that it is rooted in the biblical witness and our tradition and then also ourselves and our own sort of mind. If you, if you think that, you know, just doing something because you think and the tradition doesn't say it and the, the biblical witness doesn't say it, then we have an issue. You should really discern that a little bit more. But most of the time, it isn't that. Most of the time, it's we haven't, we don't try something new because we're afraid of changing. And, and, and here's the thing. We have all evidence in the world that we should continue to evolve and change as a people of God that that is what God actually is calling of us. And so, so Kodak, remember Kodak, right? The Polaroids I, I and do, the films yeah. and the cameras mm -hmm. for all you youngins, they, they, there were these things called cameras that actually had rolls and it was film, it was amazing. <laughs> and Kodak was the biggest producer 
of film and developer of film. And this is how you got pictures back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s until now everyone carries a camera that's better than anything ever uh, and on their phone. But Kodak actually developed a digital camera. Kodak had it. Yeah. And they decided not to release it because it would cannibalize their existing business. They said, we can't release this. This will eat up our business. And I once heard someone describe that as Kodak was not playing to win. Kodak was playing not to lose. And there's a difference between when you're playing to win and when you're playing not to lose. And I think that one of the things that our church has sort of succumbed to is this belief that the church is dying. And so many congregations are in this state of we need to survive. We need to do everything we can, we can do to survive. And that means you circle the wagons and you keep it as, as, as steady as you can and you do the best you can. Whereas where God is inviting us is like, no, play to win. Play to win hearts. Play to win more people for the kingdom of God. Go out there and be disciples. Go out there and be different. And that's just a different approach. Now, I am in no way saying that we should get rid of Sunday morning or that we should get rid of church as we know it. I'm just saying that the invitation is there for us to be fearless as we go out and do this work. And that means that sometimes we will fail and that's okay. That is holy failure because we're doing it for God and things we do for God are holy. Yeah, yeah, that's a beautiful answer and a good good reminder to all of us. And I think, um, yeah, I think in some ways it's a, it's a new dilemma for the church. Um, you know, the church has sort of been on, on the winning dominant side of history for a long time. And now we're sort of turning that curve and uh, the world is becoming more secular and uh, the church is feeling that it has lost its strength in some ways in the culture. Uh, and that's, that's a scary thing for people. Uh, and they don't want to lose what they've had. So I think you're right. I think there are a lot of churches that are that are living um, out of out of more fearfulness than than boldness. So thanks for saying that. Well, a couple of weeks ago, remember the the gospel story of the talents, right? The one with yeah. five, the one with two, and the one with one. Many of our congregations have gone to the point of let's just bury the talent, and we'll just return it because we don't want to be the ones who. Nobody wants to preside over a church that has to close, but I don't think because we try things, churches are going to close. It's when we stop trying things that, that churches are going to close. Right. Yeah. And, you know, to be truthful, I mean, there will be churches that will close and, and then there's room for new things. I mean, death is part of the, yep. the cycle of rebirth, right? Yeah, absolutely. So that's, it's hard, but true. Yeah. So I'm wondering, um, you know, my digital project is called the, the Questions Project. And what really drives me is uh, questions that I have. I, uh, I'm not necessarily the kind of person that likes to sit in an answer. I'm much more interested in, in pursuing questions. I, I gather that you are also that kind of person, especially after what you explained about divergent thinking. Uh, and you seem to be kind of a what if person. Uh, so I, I, I'm just wondering, um, you know, are there what if questions that are still lurking out there or are there questions that, you know, are sort of at the core of what seems to be your life mission that, that nag at you and, and pull your, you forward? 
Oh, every day. Uh, I, there, there are, what if questions are what drives the work? What if we did this this way? What if we did that that way? And uh, it, it, it can happen from reading an article to having a conversation, which is why being, I, I love being in conversations with people, being a conversation partner with someone that's thinking of ideas. In my own personal life, I think the, the question that drives me is what if the world just realized how loved we were by God? And, and that is because, again, my life has been so impacted just by recognizing that I am God's beloved, uh, that, that God, September 12, 1972, God looked out into the universe that God had created and said, hmm, you know what's missing? crazy guy named Lorenzo. I need someone like Lorenzo Labrija to be in this universe. And, and, and thus I was born. And that means that I am so special, not any more special than anyone else. That's the economy of God that you can be super special. And so can I, and that's perfectly, they, they don't have to be a zero sum game. They can be, they can coexist together. And so the more people realize that now I also, recognize that there is suffering in this world. Do not get me wrong. Uh, I, uh, but I also think that in suffering, realizing that you're God's beloved will give you some comfort. That in the moments of despair, recognizing that as well. And we see that all over the time. Anytime you read the story of a saint or a martyr or something, you, rec you see that at the, even at their last moments, they recognize that that belovedness of, 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 of being with God was enough for them, even in spite of things going wrong in life. And so it's not just about when things go right or go wrong. So it's just about living into that love of God. Bishop Curry believes this. Bishop Curry lives into this, which is why we are the, the Jesus movement. And because Jesus was about love and inclusion and loving and just so the more of us that we can do that with. And so that's what I think drives me. And so in my personal relationships with people, I'm always looking for what if this person, what if my brother, what if my mother was able to recognize in this moment how beloved they are? How, do, how can I be a presence of God with them? Uh, as a priest, I, I, I am often called because, you know, because of the collar, just people ask me these deep questions that are painful questions that are some of the questions that have no answer, right? The theodicy question, not to get too geeky, right? How does a good and loving God allow bad to happen in the world? And, and I don't have an answer to that. I, uh, my answer to that is it's, 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 a, it's a mystery. It's a holy mystery. God will have to, not, God will not have to do anything. God will, I hope, explain to me someday how and why that was, right? What, what I wasn't, but I also recognize that I don't know, but like a, the tip of my fingertip compared to what the reality of everything else that there is to know. So I don't know how electricity works yet. I go turn on the light and the light turns on and I'm happy for it. Uh, and so I just have to accept that I don't know everything and that I don't know even how simple things that we do understand. I don't understand them. So how can I be prepared to try to understand something that maybe we're not meant to understand? So we have saints from Augustine on down that have told us that we're not meant to comprehend how God thinks. And so that's okay. And, and I think that's one of the things also is just to be able to, as you were talking, to be able to live with the question, to just sit in that mystery and not be afraid of it. Because I think for me, recognizing that God has my back means that even if I don't understand it, 
the the underlying foundation of it is God's love. If that makes sense, I hope I haven't gone too around there. And, and no, that was beautiful. That was beautiful. Thank so you. I'm not a philosophy major. I'm not a theologian either. I'm an action researcher in the world. That just because I do see people hurting, yeah. and and oftentimes I just I wish I could I could help people just understand more how much God loves them and that that would make a difference. Yeah. Well, I think you're not just a director of TriTank. You're a preacher too. That's <laughs> This also means that we as a church have to be okay now that we've gone digital, right? So I, I wrote a chapter in a book that just came out about what will we keep from COVID that talks about, and one of those things is digital church. It's here to stay. We as a church have to be okay though, especially those of us who are in a sacramental sort of theology like ours, that how do we work with people that may never set foot in our church? How do we still present and be present to them and sacramental to them if they, if they don't set foot in our, in our, in our buildings? How do we still, I love wrestling with those questions. Uh, and, and there's a lot of people that just say, no, that's not a question for us. Whereas I'm like, no, yes, yes, we let's engage the question. It could still be, by the way, and I'm perfectly open that we decide we don't know how to do that right now. And so somebody else in the future may, may come up with a better thing once we have you know, augmented reality or virtual reality, that might be something. But right now we don't have a way of doing that, but that's okay because we've at least engaged the question. And that's, I think all of these are just invitations to engage the question, not just begin with an automatic no. I think there, there's always invitation because God's always calling us to new things. God's always calling us to be more. Yeah. Um, God will always be greater than us. Yeah. We are actually, we're going to launch in January because of the fact that our work is pushing sort of the boundaries and the envelope a little bit. Yeah. We, we have reached upon, and, uh, and I can tell you, we, so we, we have several experiments going on right now that are really uh, trying to get at the true power of Facebook to reach people for God, uh, mm -hmm. which is, I think, a wonderful thing. Except uh, Cambridge University just put out an article in October calling Facebook uh, a moral issue. Uh, because of the addiction of it. Social media now is, is it's addictive. And somebody brought up the question, a theologian that I respect, brought up the question is like, hey, when do we not use a tool that's addictive, even if we're using it for good? A beautiful question that we need to engage. And right. so what we're doing is we're launching in January this thing called Theology in Conversation. And so what will happen is I will sort of represent the, let's push the envelope, and we're going to have theologians on the other side, just in a conversation like this, where we're gonna talk about when do we draw the line? Where do we draw the line? Because at some point we do need to draw the line. You're right. I wouldn't use a gun and put it to someone's head to bring them to a church to say, look, this is, I'm bringing you to Jesus. Even though I used a gun, I'd be like, no, that, that doesn't make sense, right? There's, there's a line that I've crossed there. So as technology keeps expanding, as we keep expanding, we need to keep having that conversation and be like, yeah, we wanna use these tools and we have a lot of churches on Facebook right now, but, are we using tools that are actually not helping our people? Are we using tools that are hurting our people by making them even more addicted to the to this multi-billion dollar corporation that just want, sees them as a product and selling them? And at which point do we not do that? Do we not lead more of our people into that? And I think that's just a beautiful, so the same way that we're doing it with Facebook, there's several other experiments that have sort of touched upon. One of them is alcohol. Uh, should we not use anything that has anything to do with alcohol to try to, to if, if, it, if it involves alcohol, should we not use it to try to bring more people to God? Again, these are questions that I love engaging. So what we're going to do is we're going to record it as, as a conversation. 
then we're also we're going to release the audio, the video, much like you, and we're also going to transcribe it and release the transcript of it, uh, edit it for you know clarity and better. And then we're going to engage it as a conversation with more people beyond just that. We're going to put it out there for the world to see and get responses from it so that more people can engage in that conversation because we really do need to have more conversation. At some yeah. point, you know, cyborgs are a real thing now. There are people that have fake arms. Uh, we yeah, have sure. people that are competing in the Olympics that have, you know, a certain percentage of their body is now a machine. So at some point, someone's going to be like, hey, I want to marry that. Thing. We call it a thing because it's at, at which point do you stop calling it a human being and more of a robot than a thing? And we should probably start having those conversations about uh, theology and, uh, and, and AI. And it, it just, just to be present to where is God in all of that? Because God is in all of it. So let's start engaging it. So I'm excited by that too. That sounds really exciting. And I, if I understand correctly, you are also writing a book. Is that, yes. do you have a publication date? Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, so the book is currently with the editors. I have turned in the manuscript and everything. And it Congratulations. is- Congratulations. Thank you. It is being published. It, 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 the title of it right now, it could change, I suppose. It is called uh, How to Try Using Digital Thinking for Church Growth and Innovation. Digital thinking is a framework from the business world that Tritank uses to create new ideas. And I guide people in the book step-by-step it's only three steps, so don't get too excited that it's, people are going to get lost. It's just three simple steps as to how to sort of try it in a way that, that makes sense. How do you do the research? How do you find out your neighborhood? All these things. Then how do you come up with more ideas? And then how do you go out and actually execute in those ideas? And it'll be published next, next fall. It comes out from Church Publishing. Terrific. So well, I'm super excited. I look, I look forward to that. And I'm also looking forward to the results of your listening project. and. There was another one, uh, Making All Things New, you're, where you're interviewing different churches about innovative things that they're doing and listening to people. Yep, who, we are. Yeah. Yeah, Making All Things New is, is a project that we're doing with the, with the National Episcopal Church Office, the Church Center in New York, uh, where we're, because a lot of churches during this pandemic pivoted a little bit and tried new ways. And some of those things are going to stay. And we want to sort of lift those up and show the world, look at these cool things that came out of this. You know, yes, it's, it's a horrible thing. Don't get me wrong. I'm not wishing that the pandemic had happened, none of that, but from it, there can still be some good things that come out of it that we can learn from and be like, hey, maybe we wanna do some of that. It doesn't look that hard. How do we do it? And the other one, the listening project is, the, the thinking is that there are church growers in our denomination. There are people who congregate, even though we keep talking about the numbers falling uh, and the numbers that came out this fall sort of reiterate that, but there are churches that are growing. And so our thinking was like, what if we talk to a whole bunch of them and figure out, hey, what are the habits? What are the things that you're doing? And we have discovered a few things along the way, which are pretty cool. Um, they're great at conversations. You, know, you can drop in like, oh, you should shorten the peace time during the service because that actually, believe it or not, a longer peace time makes people who are new to your congregation feel really awkward. And then inadvertently, they feel bad about being in a place that just made them feel awkward. So when they leave, they don't have as good a sense of that place, simply because for those three minutes when everybody was sort of saying hi to each other, they felt awkward. So they, they might not even be able to name it but they have felt it and that makes a difference. So how do you counter that and stuff like that? But we're hoping that we'll have those anecdotes that maybe at 50 conversations, we'll probably be able to put together like the seven habits of highly effective church growers. But at about a hundred conversations, we're hoping that we'll discover some surprises from the Holy Spirit. I don't even know what they are, but what if we discover like, for example, that they're having like 80% of them are having oatmeal for breakfast. 
will be like, should we be feeding oatmeal to all seminarians here on? It's like, that's a thing, people. Start having more oatmeal. More fiber is good for the church. I don't know, but we're hoping to find some surprises. So, And that's what's cool about this work. It's like, we don't go in expecting to always succeed. We're, we're okay, again, with the holy failure. And I'll finish with this if you want. When, when I finally took this job, when they offered it to me, I was like, oh, this is awesome. Best job ever. But I had this fear. It's like, oh, my God, what if they think I'm going to that we're going to discover in this work like a, a silver bullet to serve, save the church, like if the mm. church needed saving or something. That would just be awful. And a lot of weight on my little shoulders to carry. So I don't think I want that. And I asked them, I said, hey, how will we know in three or five years whether or not we've succeeded? And, and I'll never forget, it was Kurt Dunkel, the, the dean and president of uh, General Seminary, who turned to me and said, because we will have failed more often than we succeeded. That's how we'll know. What a beautiful answer. <laughs> and I beautiful. said, I will take this job. <laughs> well, that worked out well. The spirit was in that one. Well, Lorenzo, um, I, I think you've already mentioned maybe you want to recap where people would, would find you online. and, and Absolutely, sure. Yeah. If you go to Tritank, that's T-R-Y-T-A-N-K dot O-R-G, you can see all of our experiments are listed on there. You can sign up for our wisdom group, which is if I need to make a decision on the fly, we have a texting thing and I just put out a poll to people and be like, hey, should I go with yellow or green? And they write back and, and we see answers, real world answers from people. And we use it a couple of times a month. Uh, and we do send one newsletter out a month that has a letter from me sort of about something that's really exciting in this work this month. And then it has updates on all the active experiments. And that's also where we put out calls for people to join our experiments. When we do an experiment with a congregation, we pay for it all. We go in and we pay. We just you basically are giving us the the laboratory in which to try it. So we go out there and try it with you. And we have a whole bunch that are coming up that we will be looking for once we pass this COVID uh, pandemic, we where we will be back in congregations and trying things in there. So we'll be looking for more partners. So tritank.org. If anyone wants to talk to me, it's Lorenzo at tritank.org. And I'll be happy uh, to, to set up a time and just sit down and chat. If you just want someone to, if you have an idea that you will either want to help with in running it on your own, and we can help you with that too. Or if you want an idea that you just want to pass along that you maybe have had that someone should try and you're like, hey, here's an idea that I always thought that some church should try. I don't want to try, but here it is. I'm leaving it to you. We might just go ahead and do an experiment around that as well. So either way, I'll be happy to talk with people. Well, it's clear from this conversation. I knew it already, but now everyone else knows that you are a <laughs> tremendous resource and inspiration and um, just a, a real sign of, of hope and creativity in, in this thank world. You. So thank you for that. It's really a blessing. No, my pleasure. Thank you. And thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. Look for my blog, some short videos about faith during a time of pandemic, meditative prayers, and other resources at jsoltis.org. Until next time, blessings on your journey. May it be filled with adventurous questions.